Welcome to Mrs. Flick's Picks, where busy moms can find the best books for their kids. Join me in my mission to cultivate children's moral imagination through good stories, beautifully written. Hello, and welcome back to Mrs. Flick's Picks. I'm Carrie Flick, and it is great to have you join me today. The other day, it was a typical dreary, cold February day, and my oldest son was complaining about winter. And where we live, we almost never have any snow, and it usually gets just cold enough to be annoying. The ground doesn't stay frozen, so every time it rains, we get to enjoy lots of mud. So yeah, our winters are not beautiful. They are wet, muddy, dreary, kind of cold months. And my son said to me, you know, I bet they didn't have winter in the Garden of Eden. Which honestly, I had never considered before. But I said, well, yeah, you're right. Because death itself was ushered in by the fall. But how meaningful spring is to us in the light of winter. We have this hope of new life and beauty that's guaranteed to come to us every single year, no matter how we have suffered the cold season before. And truly, the harsher the winter, the more welcome is spring. My picks today are all books that deal with suffering. I know, it's not... A very popular topic. Um, but the fact is that just as winter was a consequence of the fall, and yet used by God for our good, so is suffering. And even for our kids, their hurts and their heartaches, both the ones wrongly thrust on them, and the ones that they create themselves, are the direct result of living in a sin-ridden world. But God can still use those in a redemptive way for their good. I do think we should read sad books to our children. Now, not despairing books or dark books, but certainly books where good people get hurt and suffer. That is the reality on this side of eternity. And I think it can help prevent culture shock, if you will, when our kids experience it for themselves, if they've already lived it vicariously through story. But there are right and wrong ways to endure hardship. Christians are not permitted to despair or complain or grow resentful. We must not seek to make others suffer with us or wallow in self-pity. So the sad books should ultimately be helpful, giving good examples of godly suffering, and they should be hopeful because for the Christian, that is the truth. Spring is coming. Easter is on its way. And Jesus is greater than our heartache. So I hope that you look forward to these books and see them for the beauty that they really have to offer after the rainstorm does come the sun again. My first pick is a picture book called Home in the Woods 
by Eliza Wheeler. This is based on a true story of a large family during the Great Depression. Their father has died, their house is taken, and the mom is forced to move herself and her children into a little shack in the woods. And when the little girl narrator first sees their new home, all she sees is its brokenness and loneliness. It's in significant disrepair, it's small, and it's dark. But the mother is determined to put on a brave face and make the most out of a really horrible situation. She takes discarded trash and converts it into makeshift furniture. The kids discover a root cellar that contains mason jars and rags, and their mother declares those things to be treasures. And sure enough, months later, those mason jars are filled with food the family has grown in their little garden, and the rags have been cut up and sewn into a quilt that helps keep the family warm at night. What impressed me so much about this story, though, was not just the mother's tenacity, but how her children followed her example. There's a scene where they all have to go into town to buy some necessary dry goods, and the kids just stand in front of the general store window and stare at all the beautiful clothes and toys and candy that they know will never be theirs. And they begin to grow sad and self-pitying. But when they get home, they decide to play a game of general store. And they make jewelry and hats out of leaves and acorns. And everybody has more than enough money to buy anything they want. By the end of the book, the narrator now sees that little shack in a totally different light. The family's financial situation has not changed. And the shack is still small and in need of repairs. But it is now filled with life and love and laughter and has become a true home. My next pick is Stone Fox by John Reynolds Gardner. The main character in this one is a 10-year-old boy named Willie who lives on a Wyoming potato farm with his grandfather. As it takes place in the 1880s, dog sleds are one of the main modes of transportation in the winter, and Willie's sled is pulled by his dog and best friend, Searchlight. One day before the potato harvest, Willie finds his grandfather still in bed in a non-responsive state. Willie rushes to get help, but when grandfather is examined, the doctor announces that there's nothing at all physically wrong with him. His symptoms, it would seem, are caused by an internal emotional grief of some sort. Willie guesses that his grandfather, who has never been wealthy, is worried sick over money. So Willie works himself to physical exhaustion, bringing in the potato harvest alone. With his dog Searchlight's help, Willie miraculously manages to pull up all the potatoes before the winter weather comes and get them sold at an excellent price. But when he brings the good news to grandfather, there's no change of his symptoms. Willie eventually discovers the horrible truth. Grandfather has gone for years and years without paying the taxes on the farm. And now, a government agent is threatening to take everything little Willie and grandfather have in order to settle the debt. The doctor advises Willie that the situation is helpless. 
grandfather simply can't continue in his almost catatonic state, and Willie's best bet is to sell the farm. But he doesn't like that advice, so he goes to seek wise counsel from all the other adults in his life that he trusts. And their advice is all the same. Cut your losses and sell the farm. But then Willie realizes that the annual dog sled race is approaching fast, and the cash prize is $500, just the amount he needs to pay the back taxes. Knowing full well that the life of his grandfather and their beloved home are both at stake, Willie determines to win that race, with faithful searchlight coming to his aid yet again. I'm not going to give away any spoilers for this one, except to say it is heartbreaking. The ending is abrupt and shocking and sad. So why read it? Well, it tells the story of a circle of love and sacrifice. These three characters, Grandfather, Willie, and Searchlight, pour themselves out completely for one another, and they each sacrifice significantly in their own way for the health and happiness of the other. Additionally, Willie is resolved to have hope and to do everything in his power no matter how improbable or difficult, to fight for who he loves. His situation is one that any rational person would label as hopeless, but he refuses to accept that. Incredibly, though, his hope isn't tainted by anger or pride. He doesn't blame his grandfather for creating the situation in the first place, and he doesn't grow resentful over the cards dealt to him. He accepts that it is what it is, and he must do what he can with the situation he has. This is a novella, really, just a little longer than a short story. So if you wanted to use it for independent reading, it would be a suitable beginner-type chapter book. But our family read it as a read-aloud, which only took two or three days. And I think it was better experienced communally like that. It's probably best for ages 6 to 10, but if you have a sensitive little one, you should probably pre-read it. All right, and last up is The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane by Kate DiCamillo. Edward Tulane is actually a stuffed toy rabbit, but a toy rabbit of the very finest and most expensive quality. He is terribly loved by his little girl who dotes over him and has him sit at the table with her at meals. She has an entire wardrobe of fine clothing for him and talks to him every night. But Edward is an arrogant rabbit who cares nothing for his owner and is only concerned about his outfits and pedigree. He is selfish and cold and totally incapable of loving anyone besides himself. That is, until an unfortunate accident wherein Edward is literally thrown into the ocean, and thus begins his journey. He spends quite some time at the bottom of the sea, and being but a toy rabbit, he can't really die. He simply suffers and waits, dying in his spirit over and over again. Eventually, 
Edward is pulled from the depths of darkness and death in the ocean to find himself rescued by a humble fisherman and his wife, who treat him with the same affection that they would of a little orphaned child. Over time, Edward develops an appreciation of their affection and maybe even just a little reciprocated fondness. But before he develops anything remotely close to love, he is separated again, and this time tossed in a garbage dump. Over and over, Edward is discovered and rescued by hurting people who pour love into him, but eventually are torn from him. And every time Edward experiences this death and resurrection story, his capacity for empathy grows just a little bit more until finally he is able to give his life, or at least however much of a life a toy can give, to save another. It is when he dies to himself willingly, not due to outside forces, that he finally finds true life and true love. But this journey is very painful in every sense, and the reader suffers with Edward and his various owners every step along the way. There is one particular setting Edward experiences that involves an alcoholic father, child abuse, and death. It's not exactly graphic, but it is intense and very difficult. Having said that, that section of the book is absolutely central to the story, and it can't just be skipped over. The ugliness and cruelty of the children's circumstances is pivotal to cause Edward's miraculous transformation, which is also exactly why I'm recommending this particular book. This isn't so much a story on how to suffer well, but rather an account of how God redeems our suffering and works it for our good. I'm honestly torn about the recommended age for this one. Depending on your kids, upper elementary through middle school, I think would be a safe bet. Um, I may or may not have made an entire class of third grade girls cry over this one, and I probably should have waited another year or two. But hindsight is always twenty twenty. Anyway, that wraps up this week's picks. I hope you haven't had to suffer through this episode. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. Uh, but I promise to have some cheerier choices ready for you next time. And until then, happy reading. <laughs>